Let's pray. God, we know that you're here in our midst, that you've welcomed us into this place. And God, we pray that your spirit would continue to move among us. Open us up to open our ears and our eyes, our hearts and our minds so that we might hear a word from you. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing to you, God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel according to John. It's in chapter 15. The words of it are printed in your bulletin. We're going to have them on the screen as well. But listen for the word of God here from the gospel of John. Beginning in verse 4. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we're in a series now called Work in Progress. It's a series about character. And here's how we're defining character in this series. Character is doing what's right as defined by God, even when no one else is looking, even when it will cost you, even if you don't know how it will all work out. And the reason we think character is important, the reason we're doing a series on character is because God thinks character is important. We read from Proverbs last week, and, and it told that what God wants us to do in life is to be honest and to be humble and to have good character. Plus, at the end of life, no one wants to be remembered for all the things we did in life. We want to be remembered for who we were in life, our character. And yet there's a, a really tremendous challenge in life, and, and that's, that the fact, that's the fact that the world uh, affirms all the doing and all the achieving. The world drives us toward and rewards us for not who we are, but what we do. The world rewards us not for our character, but for our accomplishments. Last week, I referenced a book about the difference, uh, a book that talks about the difference between eulogy virtues and resume virtues. Eulogy virtues are those things people say about us after we die. She was kind. He was loving. She was generous and faithful and strong. He lived a good life for the Lord. Resume virtues. Resume virtues are the things we put on our resume, the, the places we've worked, the awards we've won, the accomplishments we've accomplished, all the things we know how to do in our whole world, the books we read, the school systems, our corporate ladders, they're all set up to nourish and grow our resume virtues. So what we want to do in this series is take character, the eulogy virtues, and put them back front and center in our lives and see if there's something we can do to nourish and grow our character. So that someday, someday we will actually be remembered for the things we want to be remembered for. We're in a season of renovation around the church. You can see evidence in just about every hallway. And I want to show you something that most of you haven't seen just yet. This right here, this is the plan. All of this, everything in here, it's got hundreds of pages, 
and it shows exactly what needs to happen to make our buildings look the way we intend for them to look. All of the plans, hundreds of pages detailing every single thing that needs to be done. We're going to put a couple of them up on the screen just so you can see them a little more closely. Uh, so up on the screen, that's, do we have them somewhere? There we go. So that's the plan for all the lighting that needs to happen in the fellowship hall and in the welcome center. And then we'll, let's go to the next one. This is, uh, oh, so this is all the ceiling grids and everything that's up in the ceiling in all these new spaces. We've got one more, I think. And so that's what the front parking lot's going to look like. Here's the problem. My brain is incapable of taking a two-dimensional image and making it into something three-dimensional that I can see in my mind. I, I can't take the two-dimensional and translate it into the three-dimensional. Some of you are good at that. That's why you're architects and that's why you're designers and builders and those sorts of things but my brain can't do it it's just a bunch of lines it doesn't make sense even though every everything on here is labeled and it says what it is and what it does but i can't make sense of it photos can sometimes help so let's put some photos up on the screen so uh anybody know what that is scaffolding but where is it it's in the sanctuary okay so it's at the front of the sanctuary we're doing some work in there let's go to the next one Okay, so this will be the welcome center someday. You're getting a little bit of, you can see that there's no ceiling yet, but they're in the it's in the plans. There will be a ceiling. Don't worry. Let's go to the next one. Okay, so this is in the fellowship hall looking out toward the, toward the welcome center that we just saw. There's another picture right after this one. And this is a big open room that used to be a kitchen and will be a kitchen again someday. Now, uh, the problem, uh, even with photos, is that they can be confusing and disorienting. And the question is like, so where is that? And what is that? Where, what angle is that photo taken from? It's hard for our brains to take a two-dimensional image and put ourselves in a three-dimensional space. And there's one more photo that I think is clear proof of this. This is the, uh, the general contractor, the architect, and a subcontractor talking about whether what they put on the 2D plan actually got translated into the 3D work. So these are the professionals thinking, wait, did we do what we were supposed to do? And uh, that, that tells me that almost all of our minds have a hard time translating the 2D into the 3D. And this is why home builders came up with the idea of a model home. We used to live out in the suburbs, and there were these new neighborhoods going up all around us, hundreds of homes being built essentially one street at a time. And the builder that was developing this land had maybe four or five different uh, floor plans that they would build for houses. But instead of having people come into an office and look at a whole bunch of two-dimensional plans, the architects built four or five model homes so that people who wanted a home could come and walk around in a three-dimensional space and fall in love with it. Not look at plans and lines and not know what they're looking at, but look around and say, this, this is the house that we want. Now, here's why this is important. For centuries, God was speaking to the world in a two-dimensional model. That's the Old Testament. They're the blueprints, the, the plans for how you're supposed to live. Uh, they're full of lists, thou shalt, thou shalt not. Uh, all of the ways that God wanted to teach us how to live honestly and humbly and have good character. Uh, all, all over the Old Testament tells us who God is and what God wants and, and what is right as God defines it. 
And in the Old Testament, we've got rules about how to dress and what to eat and, and all sorts of commands for living. And these are the two-dimensional blueprints. And if you can read that and translate it into three-dimensional living, then you've figured out. You've figured out how to live how God wants you to live. The problem was that nobody could ever do that. Nobody could ever look at the plans as they were written down and translate it into three-dimensional living. So God would send prophets, and the prophets would say, you got it wrong, here's what to do. And they'd write down some more things, and the people still wouldn't get it right. And finally, finally God said, and this was part of God's plan all along, God says, I'm going to give them a three-dimensional model of what I'm talking about. And that's Jesus. And this is the beauty of Christianity. 2,000 years ago, God put into the world a three-dimensional model, a human being, living, breathing, walking, talking. This is the model, God's son, Jesus, the three-dimensional model of God, what God was hoping we would understand about God in the first place. But there's still a problem, and I'm going to show you a few more photos, just some scenes from the renovation in progress. So these are our pipe fittings. These are pieces of pipes that join other pipes together. I don't um, I don't do construction, but I know that much. Uh, and then the next slide is, I think this is ductwork, something that's going to be hidden in a wall or in a ceiling somewhere to help air flow throughout the building. And then, then one more, um, this is a pile of things. Uh, and uh, I, I recognize some of it, but most of it I don't recognize. And, and uh, you know, you could, you could take all these things. These are the things. I know they're on the plans. Uh, I know that these are they're piled in the fellowship hall and in the welcome center, so I know they go there. Uh, but uh, you could give me all these things. You could give me all these things and say, Sean, here's all the stuff you need to make it happen. And I've got plans, uh, and I know how to read, and, and I, I know what it's supposed to look like when it's done. You could say, here's all the stuff. Take all the time you need, and I'd have no idea what to do. Because it's not about, it's not a function of time, and it's not about being committed. Uh, I'm really committed to, be, to having this work done, but, but if you told me to take all the time I needed, I still couldn't do it. It's not a matter of time. It's not a matter of commitment. I could really want to build everything as it's supposed to be with all of these materials and still not be able to do it because I don't have the skill set. I could never do it on my own. So in Christian life, we've got Jesus, the 3D model of who God wants us to be, and that's the goal, to live like Jesus, to live like the model. That's what Scripture tells us. Live like this guy. Scripture uh, says, be kind like Jesus. He's the model. Be loving like Jesus. He's the model. Be uh, welcoming like Jesus. He's the model. Do all these things Jesus did, and we hear that, and we see that, and we understand that that's a great way to live, and it's how we want to live, but still it can seem like an impossible task. Because it's not just a function of time, and it's not just a function of commitment, because you can be really committed, and you can have all sorts of time and still come up short when it comes to living out the character of Jesus. And that's incredibly frustrating, and it makes us want to throw in the towel and quit, and it can make us want to say, I just can't do it. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. It, you know, this is just the way I am. Have you ever said that? It's just the way I am. It's the way I'm wired. You get into an argument with someone you love, and they say, you know, you get angry so fast. And you say, yeah, I know. It's just the way I am. Deal with it. Or they say, you, cer you certainly yell a lot. And you say, yeah, I know. It's just the way I am. Uh, we've probably all used that 
to justify something about ourselves. Uh, it's just the way I am. But the funny thing is, we'd never really accept that as a valid reason from someone else. If my son were to wake up one day and say, listen, Dad, here's the deal. I don't make my bed and I don't clean my room. It's just the way I am. Deal with it. If my daughter woke up one day and said, listen, Dad, I throw food when I get angry. It's just what, it's just what I am. It's just, it's just the way I am. Uh, I've always done it. I'll always do it. Don't bother correcting me. I throw food when I'm angry. It's just the way I am. We'd never accept that from children. You know, let's imagine some new neighbors move in next door to you. They come knock on their door to introduce themselves. They say, hey, we just want you to know we're thieves. It's just the way we are. You, you should probably get used to it. Uh, it's how we're wired. We would never accept that. Uh, and as a pastor, uh, one of the things that I, I see in my own life and in the lives of, of, of lots of people in the world is that we want to draw a circle uh, around our own character, a circle around our own limitations and say, well, this is as good as it gets. Deal with me. Deal with it. This is just how I'm wired. But we're not going to accept that reasoning from other people because deep down we, we believe, we hope that they can change. And just like we don't accept it from others, God doesn't accept it from us. I don't think God buys it when we says, you know, God, this is the best I can do. This is the best I can give you. I can't be any kinder. I can't be any more loving. Just deal with it, God. I'm not going to be more welcoming. I'm not going to be more generous. I'm not going to be more forgiving. This is just the way I am. God doesn't accept that because God wants us to have the character of God's son, Jesus. He's the model. But I told you at the end of last week's sermon that character, being the person God wants you to be, does not mean that you have to work harder. It doesn't mean that you've got to buckle down for longer. It doesn't mean that you've got to put even more pressure on yourself than you already do. We can work as hard and as long as we want and still not get it right. Because character doesn't come from us. Character comes from Christ. Let me say that in a different way. The character of Christ is not something you manufacture. The character of Christ is something that is produced through you. The character of Christ is not something you manufacture. It is something that is produced through you. To manufacture means that I'm going to go out there and I'm going to work harder and harder and harder and I'm going to spend more time and be more committed and I'm going to dig deeper and just manufacture more kindness in my life. That, that's a New Year's resolution, essentially. It works for a week or a month or whatever, and I'm marginally kinder, and I'm marginally more generous, and I'm marginally more patient until I get grumpy, until I get tired, until life gets hard. The character of Christ is not something you manufacture. It is something produced through you. This is what our scripture is about today. Listen again. Abide in me as I abide in you. John's going to use the word abide a lot here, and it's important. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. The character of Christ is not something we manufacture. It's something that God produces through us. We ask God all the time, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want us to do? And here in our scripture, God tells us, God says, abide. And we say, okay, yeah. And what else? What else do you want me to do? Abide. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. 
but what else? I want to manufacture something. I want to produce something. God, you know how good we are at producing things. So what do you want us to produce for you? And God says, I just want you to abide. Just abide. That's it. Because I'm the vine. I'm the one from whom all life flows. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Abide in me. You'll bear much fruit. And by the way, apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't want you to manufacture fruit, Jesus says. That's my job. I want you to concentrate on abiding. I don't need you to go anywhere and manufacture generosity or kindness or forgiveness or grace. I'll do that, Jesus says. I'll do that through you. All I want you to do is abide with me. What a fresh word. What an important word in a world that's so addicted to producing and achieving and getting and doing. All God wants us to do is abide. Abide. We don't use that word very often, but it's all over the Bible. The Greek word is meno. It's a short little word, and it has a really simple meaning. Stay close. Stay close. Stay right next to me. You know, we went to Chicago a couple of weeks ago, took the family on a, on a short end-of-summer getaway, and we flew into Midway Airport. We took the Orange Line to downtown. We walked to our hotel. You know, we live in a big city here in Houston, but Chicago is a completely different city experience because we didn't drive anywhere. We walked, we took the train, and over and over, all week long, this is what I kept saying to my kids. Hey, get back here. Come, stay close. Stay close to me. Everywhere we went, stay close on the street. Get back here. Stay close. And I had to keep saying it over and over. Stay close. Stay close because my kids like to wander. They like to try to do things by themselves. And sometimes my kids and my wife would have to say it to me. Hey, get back here. Stay close. Because I like to wander and I like to do things by myself. Stay close, Jesus says. That's the key. You don't have to do it by yourself. In fact, you can't do it by yourself. You can't manufacture Christ's character. You can't manufacture God's grace. You can't dig down and produce those things from inside of you, but God can make them through you. All you have to do is stay close. And that's why we gather here every single week. It's why we gather around this table to eat the bread and drink from the cup so that we can stay close. It's why I want you to read your Bible and be in a small group so that you can stay close to Jesus. So this is the question for this week. What do you need to do to stay close? Maybe you're feeling far away, and what you need to do is take a step toward, take a step closer. And Maybe you don't know what it is, but you're going to come, and you're going to receive the bread, and you're going to dip it into the cup, and, and then you're going to kneel at this rail, and maybe, maybe all you know what to say is, God, I, Jesus, I want to be close to you. I don't know what step to take, but I want to be close. Well, I'll tell you, that is a step. To say to the Lord, I want to be close to you. Because it's like he says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. God of grace, God of love. Thank you for the life that flows from you and into us. Thank you for the life that flows from the vine into the branches. Thank you for the gift of being able to abide in you. Not to do everything on our own, not to work harder and harder and harder, but just to stay close to you. 
God, we know that you want us to be like your son, Jesus, that you want us to be patient and generous and kind and loving like he is. But God, we can't do it without you. So God, would you please be patient through us? Would you be generous through us? Would you be loving through us? We're not capable of doing it, God, but you are. So God, come alive in us, in each of us, so that through us, the world might know you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.